0: Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of Climactic, the flagship podcast of the Climactic Collective. I'm Mark and I'll be your host today. And going forward, I'll probably be the host for most of these bonuses because I'm the guy with the home studio and a little bit of time to spend doing this. But if you've been listening to the show lately, you'll notice you haven't heard a lot of me. And I'm really happy about that. It means our wonderful new team of editors has been able to help me get through some of the backlog and help us get some of the amazing episodes from our other hosts out there. It means we've been having great luck lately with contributions from other people, like Gretchen Miller, and coming this week, Dr. Renee Beale from the Royal Society of Victoria, and a lot of other exciting stuff coming up as well. So instead of our normal theme music today, we've got a little explainer on what the Climactic Collective is, and what we hope it will become. All right, talk to you after that. Hello and welcome to Climactic, the flagship podcast of the Climactic Collective. A podcast network by and for Australia's climate community. We're a group of podcasters who acknowledge the climate crisis, who understand we are in a climate emergency, and are engaging with our local communities by using and developing our storytelling skills. We're currently a collective of volunteers who produce this show out of love, fear, and rage at the challenges our societies face. We have ambitions to become a social enterprise media company supported by our listeners. And if you enjoy the show and are able to help us grow, that's the only way we'll get there. By spreading the word about the show, you'd be helping us greatly. We want to welcome on board storytellers, interviewers, producers, editors, people with podcasting skills, or those looking to develop them. If you're able to support the collective monetarily to enable training and support to new members, and allow more voices to be heard. You can find our possible account, where you can donate even just a dollar a month, at our website, or in this episode's show notes. Thank you for listening to the Climactic Collective, the community voice in these climactic times. Yeah, so uh, things are starting to get a little bit organized over here, and hopefully sounding good, sounding a bit more polished, sounding a bit more professional. But outside the studio, outside of that kind of polished environment, um, stuff's going down out there in the real world where you're listening to this and, hey, where I'm recording this from as well. August has been a big month. Um, As I record this on the 29th, it's going to be coming out later today. A lot of stuff's been going on around the world, that's been caused by climate change, that is playing a part in the climate crisis, is contributing to it, and this was a really good time to check in about a lot of them. As I record this, Greta Thunberg has just arrived in New York City, after crossing the Atlantic in a racing yacht. But the place that Greta has left, Stockholm, Sweden, one of our past guests and a contributor to the show, Joe Dodds, was recently in her spot in the old city of Stockholm. A spot that Greta's made famous and that you might recognize from being in the background of nearly every video of Greta you've seen outside of her speeches at the EU Parliament. So let's cross to Stockholm now for an interview from Joe Dodds with a young Australian woman currently living in Stockholm.
1: Joe Dodds here and I'm in Sweden, in Stockholm in Sweden today and I'm with Tully and I'll get Tully to just give her name and tell you, I don't know, a little bit about
2: herself and why she's here today. <laughs> Hi, so my name's Tully Dool and I have been living in Stockholm for a year now and it was by accident that I ended up staying here for such a long time but I come from a very strong community back home on the far south coast of New South Wales and I've found a completely different kind of community here but it's rich in many many other ways.
1: Yeah. Awesome. So, everywhere I've been going in Europe, I've been traveling for about 6 weeks. I've been asking people just, you know, casually what their impression is about how climate change is affecting their environment and their community and, and just kind of gauging their awareness of it. Do you have a sense of where the people in Stockholm Uh, on that kind of scale of how aware are people and how concerned are people here? That's a
2: pretty funny question, actually, because I would say that most people are highly aware but because of the drastic climate difference between uh, australia and scandinavia there isn't the same kind of pressures being felt so the action is less widespread and much more specific to the younger generation and the older generation i would say well that's really interesting because i have been here in
1: in those last six weeks there's been the um, the heat waves and I was in the Netherlands during the heat wave and so they had temperatures of 39 degrees plus and it was incredibly uncomfortable because all the houses of course are built to retain heat so people were seeking cooler places and going to the the lake to swim and a lot of people were sort of enjoying the heat but looking around I could I could see that I mean and they were record-breaking days each day was another record broken so I was really concerned people seemed to be enjoying it because it was a change from the cold but Looking around, because we were in the country, looking at the farm animals, we were seeing sheep really distressed. There were a whole lot of um, pigs that had to be, or that died in the heat. So the effects were actually, the effects of climate change were occurring, but people weren't really observing those, it seemed to me. So do you think people in Stockholm, what was the temperature here over that heat time? And,
2: And what were people's responses? This summer, Stockholm was cooler, actually, and we've had a lot of rain. Whereas I could definitely relate your story to last summer when I arrived and I was so shocked because it felt like Australian summer. It was it was around 30 degrees most days and I would walk into supermarket and every single cooling fan was sold out and every single bottle of uh, soda and water was off the shelves because some places had actually run out of water to drink. And you would think that that would be a catastrophic kind of warning that people would pay attention. But I think because I'm in Stockholm, It's a city that is a very privileged city and it doesn't have to do with agriculture it doesn't have to do with being outdoors in the nature and so people live inside their apartments and people are not aware or connected to the natural environment so they might go to the beach and enjoy oh it's a really warm day today and they might realize that it's a bit odd but then they go back home and they have a beer and i think that the cycle continues because people are so comfortable and it hasn't hit a point yet where people are actually concerned yeah for themselves do you want to mention where we're sitting now and why that's so important (laughs) yeah so we're sitting in gamla stan which is the old old town old city in stockholm and we're actually about one meter away from where greta usually sits when the fridays for future actions are happening and i've been here a couple of times when i can make it and there's such a lovely feeling when you know there could be 50 people here there was thousands of people here on one of the massive global rally days and it's it's amazing actually to be sitting in that spot where it's become such an epicentre and what do you call it like a, a leading point or like a yeah. a leading point for the rest of the world and it's a bit ironic that we're sitting here right here having this conversation and the rest of the city I would say doesn't necessarily know about it
1: Yeah, life goes on around it, doesn't it? And that's kind of the the difficult thing, although in the conversations I've been having while I've been travelling, a lot of the people I've spoken to have... in in Sweden and in the Netherlands have been very climate aware and I was in Gothenburg Gothenburg before and the people there really do pride themselves on having the greenest city so there's a real movement there in that city which is Sweden's second biggest city to start addressing more of the concerns with plastic and global warming and all of those things so uh, I guess across Sweden there might be Differences, But, yeah, it's, for me personally, really interesting to be in the place where young people have really... And and this has happened everywhere. It's just that Greta has kind of taken the, the lead in the media sense, but there have been young people all across the world rising up and doing similar things. And Greta is a focus for that, and it's amazing what she's done and the courage that she's had to have because she's been attacked recently by Australians in the media but yeah it's a real honour to be where she comes and just does what people are doing all over the world there's a woman in Bega doing it there's you know everywhere there's people choosing to go and sit somewhere on a particular day of the week and or hold up signs and have those conversations so yeah here we are today just part of that ongoing project so and what are you in Stockholm for and, and what are you working on at the moment?
2: Interesting question. It's changed. When I first arrived, it was for a student exchange to study, continue studying dance as part of my creative arts degree. And then I continued to keep building on that work and into that community. But right now, my my focus in my life is very confused, actually. And it has a lot to do with the conflict that I feel between pursue, pursuing my passion, which is dance, and feeling really obliged to keep working a lot more with activism so I'm in in a turning point I'm in a transition phase and while I'm in Stockholm I'm putting down some roots I'm keeping building on the community that I've felt here in the last year and I've turned towards more uh, social work and Working with the other side of activism, which is why are we being active? At the end of the day, what are we being activists for? And to me, there is so much beauty and love and amazing things happening in this world that I really want to put my energy towards. And that's partly where dance comes in. And it's also where a stronger connection with nature comes in. And I love being in the forest in Stockholm. I love this city that I can live really close to the city centre in an apartment and go swimming in the water opposite sotomam which is an island here, and go running barefoot through the forest. It's incredible. And I wish that more people had that kind of joy when they were alive, actually. I wish that more people who were alive today felt more joy. So that's that's a part of my my focus in my life at the moment is how can I share that with other people. Wow,
1: that that is an incredible goal and thing to be doing for people, and a really nice turn away from the misery and the despair that people feel like when they're engaging with the climate change battle. So I hope that you find new and creative ways to kind of bring those two things together because i think having miserable conversations about climate change has got a limit to it (laughs) (laughs) absolutely and the people who work in that field too who are you know doing the hard yards and the activism need relief as well so it's both a way of communicating to people who haven't understood the message yet and just buoying up the people who are you know on that front line and feeling that things are grim it sounds like you've got a really good mission there lifting those hopes either way and, and communicating. I'm hoping to seek interpretive dance, climate change
2: action from you. <laughs> <laughs> it, it could be something along those lines I do have a little dream of how can I stage a performance in a way that's disrupting traffic or part of a much larger political action but that that might be a little time away from now
1: I oh, can't wait to see it and I hope I can get back to Stockholm and see it here <laughs> yeah. or you can bring
2: the thing to Bega in the valley <laughs> yeah anything else you wanted to add before we wrap this I think I would like to add in a kind of conclusion to this interview, which has actually clarified something for me as well, that my mission, as we could call it, is not only about political activism, but could you say joy activism? Perhaps I should coin a new a new phrase because I, I'm sad when other people are sad. And at the end of the day, what are we living for if not to share this life with each other? So I'd like to end on that note that my, my hope and my dream is that we can all share a little bit more of our joy with each other. Thank you so much, Tully. You're about to make me cry, so <laughs> we're going to
1: turn off now so we can have a proper weep. But that is just the best thing I've heard since I got to Europe and probably this year. And I needed that <laughs> after that shitty election in Australia. <laughs> thanks, Tully.
2: Thanks so much for listening. <laughs> Bye.
0: Our thanks to Joe for taking out time from her overseas trip to send us that interview, as well as an earlier dispatch from Hong Kong. Now, I hope that's got you feeling somewhat positive and optimistic, because I've got for you now a short interview I conducted in late July outside the headquarters of Origin Energy here in Melbourne City. Origin Energy is one of Australia's largest energy generators and retailers, and they've recently rolled out a new advertising campaign labeling themselves as Good Energy. Well, when I found myself outside the Origin headquarters building, surrounded by dozens of protesters... Who traveled halfway across the country from the Northern Territory to bring attention to Origin's intentions to frack the Northern Territory? They had a slightly different opinion of Origin than a provider of good energy. So we're, we're here outside the Origin headquarters, and I've seen. Seed mob here before on Freca Fridays, doing this kind of persistent presence thing. Every Friday morning, there's a protest. How many of the protesters here today, uh, this is like the first time, or people have come in to, to make this a bigger one? Why, why is this one different?
3: Uh, this one's a bit different because we come together from a couple of areas. Like, I came from the Northern Territory. I'm from Lola My name's Nicholas Fitzpatrick. I'm one of the young guys for Yanula country, Mambalia side, and like we've been noticing a lot of change happen, like just in, just in my 28 years of living I've noticed species start disappearing out in the sea and massive mangrove die-offs and you know, cyclones getting more severe and the heat, its burns you now, more, it's more hotter and like more, more lethal. And yeah, just, this is the kind of stuff we need to be doing, putting our voices out there and trying to stop using so much fossil fuels. Yeah, just look at the, the school kids that are striking, you know, they, they're worried themselves and we have to transition out of using so much coal and oil, gas, you know. We've got all the technology now to do it, it's just, yeah, they're the big companies just trying to, you know, take everything instead of, you know. So case
0: in point, of course, the building we're outside of right now, just off Exhibition Street, you've come all the way down to Melbourne to the headquarters of, of AGL. Uh, sorry, (laughs) I hate on the mind, Uh, to the headquarters of Origin. And and what's their involvement in the NT and what are their plans?
3: Uh, They're trying to frack the NT. They're basically broke at the moment and they're looking for a cheap way out to make their company rich again. And there's a real huge deposit of oil and gas in the Northern Territory in the Beedaloo Basin. And fracking is a, a cheaper method to conventional drilling. They've spent a lot of money drilling looking for this big pocket, but Fracking, they can go down and use one drill hole and fracture the land underneath, in in the 360 degree everywhere, and bust the ground, bust water tables. Like it's it's been proven that it's very dangerous and risky. It's in America, like they've wrecked a lot of country. Like once you've drilled a pipe down there, you just you just can't go building a house or a farm on it. It's once it's gone, it's gone in that industry. Like it's very no good. We we got solar power, you know, we can get energy from hydrogen like you can use solar power to make the hydrogen we've got cars that can run on hydrogen like we need to transition and fast because the world is heating up, there's too much pollution happening yeah, there's more and more kids growing up now that's understanding this stuff and really trying to make that change these dinosaurs in the in politics down there in Canberra and everywhere they love this coal so much because it built everything around us but yeah, Th- thanks for building everything, but it needs to stop now because we're understanding that it's hurting our planet too much. It needs to stop. We need to transition out, and if not now, then when? If not who? If not us, then who? Yeah. So, we, we talk a lot to
0: environmental groups kind of across the spectrum, and across the community here in Australia, and obviously, Seed Mob is one of these very, very strong groups a uh, very strong um, culture and identity and, and very clear message as well for groups outside of, of seed you know for young people i know we've got people here today from aycc and other groups we've got stop adani chapters everywhere we've got a lot of um, stuff going on here in victoria as well outside of you know well we got sort of domestic issues in the state but if we do want to actually have a care about the country and its and its native owners as well is, is seed a, a good group to kind of you know be aware of and, and Look out for call outs and, and help and support like what is kind of what's it like being a part of seed for you uh,
3: it's very very good to be a part of seed because the work that we do in out on country that I do are uh, informing like educating my people about climate change and industrial revolution and you know like global warming and what's happening with that like we don't get we don't get told any of this stuff, and when gas companies are coming in and asking TOs for exploration permits, they don't use interpreters or explain the risks and the damages that's happened before, it's all one-sided and there's like none of, none of the people understand really, only young fellows like myself and we've got to interpret later, but it shouldn't be like that, it should be a level playing field where they explain properly the risks that could happen in your country and a good chance of it happening in your country. And and then like, yeah, make people can make decisions properly once they understand. And I can pretty much guarantee you if you make my people, Indigenous people of Australia, understand all this stuff that's happening, burning fossil fuels and fracking, none of them is gonna agree to it. it's, it's just too damaging and we worry about our future generations way too much. Do you feel
0: that's kind of a, a privilege or an amazing position to be that bridge between your culture your, your people on your land, the oldest civilization in the world, and also to translate you know, climate science. And Does it, does it feel like kind of an amazing position to be in, or does it feel a bit like it, like a weight sometimes, having to... A bit of
3: both, man. Uh, yeah. Definitely.
0: Well, I, I know you've just come up from Anglesey, you've been uh, at some training, and there's, there's a lot going on at Seed at the moment, and I'm holding you up right now from going on to the next thing at Trades Hall. Um, what's going to next for Seed? What's going on, and, and how can people...
3: Outside of seed, kind of help and contribute. Uh, we're just going to keep the pressure on Origin and keep it up. And they, their, their logo saying is good energy, and that's we all know that it's not good energy to be fracking land. Like, you know, we're the we're the last country that's got pristine land. Like, flying here from from NT, I can see a lot of bulldozed country. There's sacred sites that got bulldozed there. This is Indigenous land so much damage happening you need to preserve the Northern Territory tourism is the second biggest income in Australia if you wreck the Northern Territory that that economic money there coming in is going to slow down because they are coming to the Northern Territory they're coming to places where they aren't big cities they're coming to the bush they're coming to real Australia That's, we can make tourism number one if we do it properly we can bring lots of money into Australia lots of cultures, lots of people around the world want to hear about our culture, indigenous culture, because it's been quiet and it's been shut down for way too long. And we'd see our voices get out there, and it's it's very good.
0: The amazing thing, right, is that the NT right now is worth a lot for tourism, but in 50 years, it's going to be worth even more, In 100 years, even more. It gets more and more valuable with time. And yet, you just want to come in and exploit a resource, and then it's gone and ruined. Like, there's no economic sense in that is there?
3: Just No nothing Matt. I don't know what they're thinking that, Yeah, you know, I don't know
0: shares in the future I guess just themselves. yep um, well, thank you so much for talking to us, Nick. Um, I, you know a lot of the listeners to the show are living in Melbourne or living in Victoria, and you know coming along to the origin headquarters every Friday morning is something we can do yeah no, ourselves.
3: If you want to support us, there's, there's a seed Facebook page and a website and you can you know, support us and share out posts yeah. just to get our voices more out there and you know there's donations that you can donate to seed and to just keep supporting us to what we're doing we're doing very good work you know all over Australia and it's something that definitely needs to be supported and, and I'm really glad to see a lot of Melbourne people standing up for change the date like 60,000 people marching through the streets made a few 60,000 people stand with us to f- stop fracking in the NT I'm pretty sure we can make a big difference there so please help us
0: Thank you so much for your time, Nick, and thanks for coming down, and just, <laughs> thanks.
3: All right, mate. thanks for the interview. Pleasure.
0: So as I sit here, I've just listened back to that myself in real time, and uh, it's a Thursday, which means tomorrow morning, it's Friday morning. I know where I'll be. I'll be outside Origins headquarters. I think it's really profound when Nick said there that, yes, 60,000 people turned up in Melbourne for a change-the-date rally. Imagine with 60,000 people on the street opposing fracking in the Northern Territory, what that could do. And I know we're still smarting from our wounds in the federal election, and I know about the backlash to the Bob Brown convoy. Our city folk doing what they can, protesting, counterproductive? I don't know the answer to that. I will keep doing interviews asking people who know more than me what they think. But for now, all I know is traditional owners are asking directly for help, and that's what we should do. We're using
1: our, we're utilizing our resources. You know, we're utilizing our, our partnerships with, with you know your environmental groups, your climate, your climate actioners. We're utilizing our, our, our resources. We're utilizing and, and we're exchanging our tactics, and we're actually coming together to, to bring it together to to oppose well, destruction. Well, it's a movement, yeah. We're, we're, to oppose destruction of our, of our homelands,
2: mm.
1: to oppose you know destruction for big
0: business for mm. big money. Mm. That was the voice of Zelenak the leader of the Jaburang Cultural Heritage Protection Embassy, out there beside the Western Highway, just a couple k's from Ararat in Western Victoria. It was in this month of August that I got to go out and see the Jaburang sacred trees, the birthing trees, the scar trees, the directions trees, ranging from 300 to 800 years old. And I'm hopeful that most of you listening will know about this cause which is happening right here in Victoria, where I know most of you listening also live. This is an issue right in our backyards that we can do something about. As you're listening, hopefully the trees are still up. As I record this, they still are. Days after the latest eviction notice has expired, and I think the only reason these trees are still standing is because there's lots of people who remain out of the camps protecting them, putting their bodies on the line. There's a whole story to be told here. And I don't have the time to tell it well, and I'm not the best person to tell it. I was able to help my friends at the Juice Media, who do the amazing, honest government ad series, record an interview with Zelenak, which is where that clip you just heard was from. And you can find a link to that full episode in the show notes, as well as a bunch of other information about the Western Highway extension, duplication, the Jabbarang camps, the Jabbarang trees. It's an amazing story, and it's amazing history. And it's something that affects all of us. If in 2019, we can't protect 800-year-old trees, we've still got a really long way to go. but I can end on a good note today. Just in time for the end of the month, three more city councils across Australia have declared climate emergencies. I was about to say there were three councils that passed climate emergency declarations, but luckily I just went to check out the fantastic resource that is sedamia.org, link in the show notes, and there were four. So congratulations Northern Beaches Council in New South Wales, Adelaide City Council in South Australia. Surf Coast Shire Council in Victoria. Bega Valley Shire in New South Wales. And let's go ahead and just make that five. The City of Swan in West Australia. Now this is very well overdue. We need to do a full episode about what climate emergency declarations are, what they mean, what's actually been happening in some of these municipalities that have been declaring Climate emergencies. But for right now, let's celebrate and let's get a message from one of the counselors involved in passing a climate emergency, this time for the Bega Valley Shire. And yes, we're going back to friend of the show and correspondent Joe Dodds to bookend the episode with some good news. Take it away, Joe.
1: Well, this was quite exciting, Mark. Um, yeah, it was worth coming back from my travels, even though I was enjoying them hugely. Uh, yeah, so today's council meeting, we had a motion from Councillor Kathy Griff, who's our fantastic Greens member, to declare the climate emergency, and there were some additional parts to that motion to do with the impact that would have on the, the work the staff are doing already on our climate strategy. Kathy put this motion and we had a huge turnout from the community. Um, The the public gallery was full of people supporting her. We had um, three speakers for the motion and two against and the limit for speakers is three. So there were many more who wanted to speak for the motion and they couldn't even raise three people to speak against the motion from what we could see. So there was some pretty lively debate about the value of the declaration of a climate emergency. The cynics think that it's either just a symbolic act or that it may compel us to change our priorities in ways that they're unsure of the consequences. But there was pretty thorough support from five of the eight councillors who were present. And our arguments ran along the lines of we are clearly in a climate emergency. And all of my travels in Europe confirm that for me, it's an emergency which is hitting us globally, and I've only been in the countries that are um, doing the best I have yet, and I would dread to visit places like Bangladesh and see how they're dealing with um, climate change and the rise in sea levels because um, I'm aware of the, the the fact there's no money there to, to mitigate in the ways that we might have in the West. So, yeah, there was some concern about the global implications. And the importance of us acting, even though we may as um, a country only be contributors to a small percentage, we are as individuals, of course, extremely huge emitters of CO2 and other greenhouse gases. So... The vote passed, we got it through, and um, thanks to our Mayor, Christy McBain, who um, supported us on this, even though it was hard, knowing she'd get a lot of backlash from the doubters. So, yep, we have declared a climate emergency. Very exciting.
0: Please excuse the loud purring, the loud happy purring of my cat.
1: And, of course, a big good evening to Mark's cat. (laughs) Kind of wonderfully, when I came home after the meeting, um, my partner Tony greeted me in the driveway of our bush property and presented me with a feather he'd picked up today from the glossy black cockatoos, which frequent our bit of the forest because it's one of the last sections of the forest that still has the casuarina trees. Uh, Many of them had burnt in the Tartra fire in 2018, but we still have quite a few on our property. So the glossy blacks often fly in in the evening to feed. They're one of the many threatened species that will be directly implicated, uh, impacted. Sorry, by climate change because their habitat is so vulnerable to fire, and it's one of the habitats that gets cleared too by people who are afraid of fire because of the um, the flammability of those particular trees. Tell your cat that story and um, wave that black and red feather in front of your cat and say, "Don't touch." <laughs> All right. Thanks for uh, thanks for covering this story, Mark. It's got a happy ending um, at the moment. And I say that because the three councillors who didn't vote for the motion have already submitted a rescission motion, even though one of their strongest held arguments seemed to be that this was just symbolic and really not worth doing. They're quite happy for us to go back over the ground again and drag the whole thing back into the public realm and have another go at voting it down. I guess that's their priority and it's their right to try, but I'm hoping that we'll all hold fast. And they won't get anywhere because certainly the issue is not going away anytime soon. And as well as Kathy Griff, I wanted to give a big shout out to the community of the Bigger Valley Shire because they worked pretty hard on pushing for this declaration. Uh, Young and old, we had some great young speakers from our community. The youngest was 11, um, a young Alina. We had Dominic, who's about 17, and then a, a huge number of people who'd been working with our climate mobilisation group in the Shire, to start trying to raise awareness and get politicians at all levels to start acting with a more of a sense of urgency. So um, huge shout out to them for the work that they've done and the dedication and the respect they showed in the Chamber too because it can be pretty hard sitting there listening to arguments that you find distasteful or foolish or, or whatever, but there was um, great respect shown for alternative views on the day and um keep up the good work guys because the battle is not over yet as we all know
0: and i wanted to say a massive thank you to joe for sending in that message to the whole biga valley shire council community for getting that CED over the line and there was a reference that i had to cut unfortunately just due to some very poppy plosives that young 17-year-old Dominic had organized two petitions that had raised over 6,000 signatures within the local community. Thank you for that, Dominic. And for those of you listening who think that Joe is pretty swell, well, we agree, and we cannot wait to have her back on the show more and more often. Uh, and you yourself can be like Joe. All you have to do is send us an audio message to Climactic or to me personally, Mark Spencer. We really appreciate contributions and dispatches from around Australia and around the world on ways that we're all dealing with the climate crisis. Useful tips, advice, even just that camaraderie of sharing your feelings and getting to hear that you're not alone in feeling whatever it is you're feeling in these climactic times. Which leads me into a plug for the next special we've got coming up. In two weeks' time, I'd like to release an Amazon special. Now, of course, news of the fires in the Amazon have been harrowing and distressing to a lot of people. But if there's any truth at all in the old sayings like, a problem shared is a problem halved, I know I personally really struggle with the enormity of the problems we're facing in the climate crisis. The the existential dread does creep up on me quite a bit. So the thought with our Amazon special is to share how we're feeling. Just that. I'll be doing an interview with Artemis, who's a fantastic member of the Melbourne climate community and one of the people behind the South Bank Sustainability Group. But I'd really love this special to have a wide range of voices, sharing a wide range of stories. These can approach the Amazon fires from any angle. All I'm asking is that you share how you're feeling. So it's only right that I do what I'm asking for. So here it goes. I was born in 1990. And growing up through the 90s, I vividly remember at some point seeing a television show where a ragtag group of people had taken over a U.S. Navy submarine and were living on it. Because above the waves, there wasn't enough oxygen anymore. Because the Amazon was gone. And now I can't help but feel that I want to be angry. As soon as I think about the fires and the Amazon, the Bolsonaro government, the international response to these fires, I do get angry. But the anger isn't always there. When I don't think about it, when it's not actively in my mind, picturing the Amazon on fire, I feel numb. I feel like it can't be true, I feel like surely the devastation isn't that big, surely that Belgium isn't that big a country, because I'd read that Belgium was about the same size as what's been lost of the Amazon, and what I'm really left with at the end of the day is this feeling of the world is ending, but slowly, and quietly, and we're all too numb to notice. But when I do reengage, when I overcome that numbness in myself and I connect back to that anger, it feels better. To know that the Amazon is not on fire, the Amazon is not burning, the Amazon is being burned, that, that is the crutch I'm leaning on at the moment. I'm grabbing at that really easily accessible emotion of anger and, yeah, it's not a long-term solution. And I definitely don't want to start acting based on that emotion. But I'm not going to check out. I'm not going to go numb. I'm going to be really angry at Jair Bolsonaro and everyone else responsible for these fires. And I'm going to keep talking about this. And I'm going to make sure that in this special, there's a bunch of actions that we can all take to actually do something about this crisis. I would love for you to take part, to send in your messages, your stories, and your advice on what we can do as the Australian climate community while the lungs of our world are being burned down. Please send those in no later than the 8th of September to hello at climactic.fm or at climactic show on Facebook. Thank you so much for joining us today for this special episode about activism in the Australian climate community for August 2019. Thank you to Giordano from The Juice Media, Joe Dodds, Zelenak, Nick from Seedmob, and our editor Gemma. Thank you, and have a great day. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Climactic, the flagship podcast of the Climactic Collective, a podcast network dedicated to lifting the voices of the climate community. You can find out more about the people behind Climactic and all the shows we produce at climactic.fm. We are a social enterprise podcast network, and we greatly appreciate your support. You can find a link to our possible where you can support us directly in the show notes of this episode or from our website. Thank you for listening, and from the whole Climactic Collective, keep up the great work and take care of each other in these climactic times. The Climactic Collective This show is produced by Hear Media a boutique audio agency in NARM, Melbourne. To learn more and get in touch, head to hearmedia.studio. That's H-E-R-E media dot studio.